Welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. I'm your host, Lupna, also known as the Action Accelerator, and I'm flying solo this episode. The Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi-adoring entrepreneurs, showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and the grounding. And today, do I have a guest that is completely in alignment with this message, ladies and gentlemen. It is the amazing Vicky Louise. Vicky helps anxious procrastinators get more done in 50% of the time. After graduating from the London School of Economics, she worked in finance and tech until 2016. She launched her very first coaching program in 2016. She has now helped hundreds of clients all over the world achieve more in less time. She's also a fellow podcast host. She's the host of the Fuck Anxiety and Get Shit Done podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming the amazing Vicky Louise. Thank you so much for having me and for such a lovely intro. Happy oh, to be it's here. my absolute, it's a pleasure to have you, Vicky. So let's start with the most important question of this podcast. What's your favorite sushi and why? <laughs> I love salmon nigiri. It's my favorite. I think it's like really just good filling. It's like a nice ratio of like rice to fish. I always add wasabi and ginger, like all the wasabi and ginger, always asking for extra. And it's like simple. That's like, it's, it fills me. It's got a bit of protein, simple. Yeah. Guaranteed. Like everywhere I go, it tastes the same. I know what I'm getting. Oh, and I it. love that. I love it. How were you introduced to sushi? Oh my gosh, this is so funny. Do you know Yo Sushi in England? I don't yes. know if it's anywhere else. Yes. When I was like 15 and we would go to like the Trafford Centre, which for anyone that's not in it from, that's where I'm from, Manchester, it's like a shopping centre. And there would be like this Yo Sushi, like, and they made it all cool. And you would go sit at this bar, except the bar was like bits of food instead of, I guess, drinks or whatever. And I went with a friend and I remember the first time I would only have the non-fish ones. <laughs> so I'd have like the omelette or the like cucumber and and actually, I still really like the vegetable ones. I don't like the omelette one anymore, but that's by the by. And I remember just really breaking into sushi and the whole process, which is so amazing because when I met my husband, he like didn't eat fish aside from like tuna from a can. And now we go for sushi together and like I've taken him through the steps. I'm like an expert sushi onboarder. That's what I should do with my life. Train people to eat sushi. Oh God, I really love that. I've been known to convert people from non-sushi to adoring sushi. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think we're onto something. I think we are. I think we are because a lot of people, to be fair, do not like sushi. And the idea of raw fish, I mean, I'm a Moroccan, so I was raised with fish, but baked or in the oven. So my father still looks at me and thinks, how can you be eating raw fish? I mean, didn't we raise you right or something? I mean, come on. <laughs> Who does that? Who eats raw fish? Who does that? So in his mind, it's ridiculous. And I know a lot of people have that. 
So it really is something that you grow into. Someone has to introduce you to it and then you lean into it by first trying the vegetable ones or as we have discovered through all of our episodes on the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. The California roll is a very good starter sushi for those that do not have they want to be introduced to sushi. So I really love, I really love that. So tell us a little bit about what you do besides eat sushi. I mean, <laughs> besides eat sushi. Okay. Yeah. I work with clients all over the world and we spoke about this a little bit before the recording. I think firstly, I think everyone in the world has something is like is uniquely positioned to solve a problem because every single one of us, depending on where we live, our gender, all these factors in our lives, our family setup, all of these things are uniquely primed to see problems. And only when we see a problem, can we solve it? So I think everybody has the potential to have impact if they want to. Now, what stops us is our brain's programming and our fear of failure and our anxiety and our brain's desire to conserve energy and procrastinate. And because we're never taught about these things, when they come up, what I see happening time and time again is a lot of self-judgment, self-criticism, habits of like mean talking to ourselves that make us play smaller and smaller and smaller so that not only do we get the life we want and have the impact that we want and the success we want we don't create that for our families we don't create an example for the community and we don't create the shifts that the world needs so I'm really passionate about helping people solve for that and I don't think success has to come from working 60 hour weeks and I don't think success has to come from sacrifice and hard work and hustle and all of those things that are exhausting I think really we forget the power of like the small simple consistent shifts and yeah. the exponential growth so I really work with people to slow them down and then their results speed up how did you discover this is your gift to the world Yes. Good question. I was co-founding a tech startup when I started waking up every day with panic attacks, except I didn't know they were panic attacks because everything that I'd read about anxiety was like so extreme. And I was waking up into them and then carrying on my day because I didn't know what was happening. So I'd wake up sweating and heart pounding and head dizziness and lots of thoughts whirling around. And my husband would say, like, after two weeks, I think he was like, I don't think how you're waking up is normal. Like, something's changed. And I was like, has something changed? And I started to speak to people and someone said, it sounds like anxiety. So then I went to Dr. Google and I was like, okay, what's anxiety? And it said, anxiety is a generalized feeling of worry, apprehension, or overwhelm. And I thought, well, that's explained nothing. Because how do I know <laughs> when I'm worried or I'm anxious? And on like a medical website, it said one in five American adults will suffer from an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. And globally, the World Health Organization says one in 13. So what that's saying is one in five out of a population size of 100 million. So 20 million is a disorder. And to me, with my background in statistics, that sounds like a trend. Yeah. And I was like, well, if this is a trend, why does it exist? And I started going into that. And that's when I realized like no one was speaking about actually why anxiety exists and practically what it is and how it shows up and actionable solutions that we can have to A, manage it, but B, get things done with it, not in spite of it. And 
I would be curious to know what you think, but what I've seen more than anything is like ambition and anxiety come hand in hand because anxiety yeah. is our, our brain's desire to keep us playing small and keep us safe and be on alert of stepping out of the comfort zone. And entrepreneurship is choosing to step out of the comfort zone. <laughs> so that's how I ended up. I ended up creating the solution that I was looking for, I guess. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot. I mean, uh, before I became a 100% entrepreneurship, because I've been an entrepreneur for over 10 years, but I always had it as a side hustle. And it was one of those things that I'd never thought about becoming an entrepreneur. But when the opportunity arose to do something that I love doing, I thought the only way that I can do it next to my job is in the form of starting a side hustle. And legally, I was bound by going to the Chamber of Commerce and registering a company. That is just because the laws in this country are that if you want to do anything that generates money, you have to be registered as a business, which was fine. I mean, for me, it was just a form. It's a form in which I can do something that I enjoy doing more of that I could not do in my job at that time because I love teaching and I wanted to do more of teaching and do training and coach people. And I could do only so little in in my job that I wanted to do more of that. And that's how I solved that challenge of mine. But in the period that I was in a corporate job, I saw so many people, and I shared this with you before we started the recording, I can see the potential in someone else. I can see them bigger than they can see themselves. And I'm literally thinking, why are you keeping yourself so small just because you're afraid of what your colleague would say to you or what your manager would say to you or what your clients might say to you or how they would judge you. And I'm like, I don't care what other people say about me. I really don't. If they find mm. me entertaining enough to spend their valuable time talking about me, be my guest. <laughs> I think time should be spent on something more valuable than talking about other people. And I saw so many things, so many people and it showed up in the sense of you'll never be able to get that done. Oh, the manager will definitely say no to you. Or, oh, you can't do that. Oh, we can't do that. That's too innovative. We've never done it before. And in my brain, it goes like, oh my God, we've never done it before. I love it. I love it. I think that's why I became 100% entrepreneur. I think I am too much of a challenge chaser. I love a good challenge. I'm looking at how we can do something. So I've done in my corporate job so many things that people said, how did you ever do that? How did you get the manager to say yes to you? How did you get that event up and running in a couple of weeks? How did you get that done or that done? I'm like, okay, people, it's because I truly believe there's a solution and mm -hmm. I will find a way. That's how I do it. It's a thought. Right. It's a way of thinking that translates into a way of being. And I still share every time I've spoken on so many stages because of my professional speaker. But every time, each time I sat in my car or in the train thinking, why did I say yes to this speaking engagement? I have to remind myself because I'm thinking, oh my God, what if that doesn't go well? What if that doesn't go? I still feel that anxiety. It just doesn't stop me from doing something. It doesn't paralyze me from doing it. it. I still acknowledge it because it's an emotion and we are human beings. We experience our emotions, but it doesn't stop me. It's not the break that stops me from doing something. I still do it, but right. it doesn't stop me. And I think a lot of people are going around being stopped by negative emotions and anxiety being one of them. Right. And I'll even share, it's a story that I tell on, I think the first episode of my podcast. 
like a few years ago. So I was already certified as a coach and working with clients and I was going on a public stage to speak and I'd done all my thought work and cleaned out my brain and was like, everything's going to be amazing. And I know what I'm doing. And it was like, as I was walking up to the stage, my brain was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Because our brain doesn't want us to be exposed to anything, especially other people's opinions, as you said. Yeah. My brain was like, it just took over. It was like, you are putting us in danger. Hold the brakes, hold the brakes, like sweat, bright red in the face, like heart pounding. I was like, just as I'm being seen by everyone, all this is happening so quickly. Like I'm speaking about it slowly, but it was all so instantaneous. And I didn't have time to like talk myself down out of it. And so instead... I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with it because that's what so often we're doing. We're like judging ourselves for having the anxiety. We're wishing it would go away. We're making it mean that something's gone wrong. All of that stuff, which is like disempowering ourselves. Instead, I was like, oh my God, my brain is so powerful that it really wants to keep me alive. And it's like got all these mechanisms that it pulls out the bag when it thinks I'm in danger. And instead of fighting with my brain, I really appreciated it. And as I went on the stage, suddenly... I was working with my anxiety and I can't really explain what it was. I speak about it more on the episode of the podcast, but I felt like my whole body was glittering. Like all the vibrations from the anxiety was still there, but instead of it being a negative experience, it was so positive and powerful. And I felt like Beyonce and it was like the best speaking I'd ever done. And I was like, oh my, this is amazing. Even like now, of course I wish for that to happen again and it never does. (laughs) Now I'm like over that initial anxiety, but um, really working with our brain and seeing how powerful it is. It's a game changer. We don't need to get rid of the anxiety to get things done. And the more we're not afraid of it, the less it shows up anyway. Yeah, it's so true. And I was curious about something that you shared in your story of how you started on this path. And that is, did you ever find out why when working with the tech startup, you woke up with anxiety? Because you didn't realize that it was worry or anything else. You just woke up with the symptoms of. Mm. Yeah. So I felt looking back, I know exactly. I was very dependent. You know, I was the CEO and I was very dependent on people with skills that I didn't understand, like Mm. programming and all of that stuff. And so I felt very much out of control and at the mercy of like them doing their work and them shifting the deadlines and things kept getting delayed and kept getting delayed. And in the day I was just like hustling and working through things. And then it was like, I would sleep exhausted and then my brain would wake me up with worries about everything that could go wrong. So my brain was still working while I was sleeping. And then I would wake up into a panic of we're behind the deadlines. Wow. What are some of the things that you found in working with your clients all over the world that keep popping up time and time again? So there are across cultures, across countries, across continents. Yeah, it's the self-judgment is the first thing, really. It's the thoughts that we have about having anxiety, the thoughts that we have about not getting things done, the expectations. You know, we don't know about having a human brain. And so we think like, oh, when I say I'm going to do something, that means I'm going to do it. And we don't understand why we don't. And I just like to remind everyone, there's a reason why the diet industry in the US is worth $70 billion. And that's because we can say, I'm not going to eat X, Y, and Z. And then our brain still wants and we're never taught how to not do everything our brain tells us or not believe everything our brain tells us so the self-judgment and the things should be different and I shouldn't be thinking this and something's gone wrong that whole story is honestly like 30% of the work unpacking all of that 
And yeah, a lot of it is we fear what other people think, not realizing that anything that we're worried that someone else is going to think about us is what we really think about us. And that's why if the solution to handling like social anxiety is to stay at home and not go out, I always teach my clients, you sat with the person that's criticizing you the most. Like really, no one else cares about you. I've just written a piece on this. Like think about someone you love in your life. Like how often do you think about them? Once a day, maybe at most. That's like a main character in your life and you think about them once a day. Like yeah. no one else is thinking about you. They're obsessed with themselves. That's how our brains are designed. Like you might be a fleeting thought, but we have 60,000 of them a day. Like no one's that special. It takes a lot to have an impact where someone would really be thinking about you. But because we're thinking about ourselves all the time, we don't understand that other people aren't thinking about us. They're also just thinking about themselves. So that's another big thing. And another one, the last one that I'll give, because I could speak about this way too long, is the solution to managing overwhelm and all of this side of things is to get 20 things done in a day. And so time and time again, people come to me with like super aggressive expectations on themselves. So they're like putting 20 things to get done in a single day, doing one, spinning in overwhelm, having to make decisions, not getting anything done, you know, exhausting themselves. And then the next day they just move everything to the next day. And we think that we have to get all the things done all the time instead of allocating proper rest and proper breaks and proper time off. And one of the most important things we can do is schedule our time off first. Yeah. And we're almost in the same field in that term, because one of the things that I'm really passionate about is busting the myth that the only way that you're going to be successful is through hard work. I think that that is keeping a lot of people in jail Mm -hmm. and adding to the expectation and to the anxiety of a lot of people. And I really, how am I going to say this? I think I'll revert back to what you said earlier. A lot of the things come because we do not have the knowledge about how our brain works. Mm. Most of us don't realize that our brain is still operating on the operating system based on evolution, the saber-toothed tiger, the bear, Mm -hmm. and that type of thing. So we respond to things in our current society as if it was a saber-toothed tiger. That's why we are held back. Our brain is actually working against us because a human need is growth. We don't realize it, but it is. And it's a dilemma within us. And that's constantly fighting until you upgrade your operating system to some extent. And a lot of the work that you do and I do is mindset. A lot of people come to me because they're searching for tactic. Oh, I've read a time management book or I've read Get Things Done or I've done that or I've done that or I've tried that. And I'm thinking, but it's not tactics. As long as you do not look at the world in a different ways and look at yourself in a different ways, all of those tactics are just adding to the anxiety of overwhelm that you already have. So why would you put yourself in that state? Right. It's like someone saying, I want to wait and I want to work out more, but I hate the gym. And if they hate the gym, then two weeks later, they stop going. But they don't realize that hating the gym is a choice. And we can start to change how we think about the gym by thinking about like, well, I actually love putting on my favorite music and I love that it's time just for me. And I actually really like, you know, doing a dance class, but you know, whatever it is, like there's a solution instead of our brains just like, nope, we decided we hate the gym. And then we decide to just like, I mean, gym membership is one of the most 
wasted money I don't know how to say that sentence it's what yeah, yeah, you know, no, we- no I, I do realize I think I've been in that situation to be really honest I've paid for I think it was five years right and I probably went in the first week yeah. maybe the second but yeah. then it was just a charge that I didn't even notice on my back statement I think it wasn't until years later that I went through okay I better look at what I'm spending my money on and if it's still still good enough and I noticed that charge I'm thinking really I'm still paying for that right and it's almost like and this is how I see coaching as well you would have been better off paying three times the gym membership for a personal trainer and actually got the results versus like sometimes we want things to be cheap, but when we want things to be cheap, it's easy to not commit and then we don't get the results. And I think things should be priced so that you're either committed to getting the results or you don't put down that like small monthly retainer or whatever it is. Like either commit to doing something or don't do it. Yeah, we've got a very famous psychologist here in the Netherlands that publishes a column each and every week. And one of the things that I've learned from him, and I've seen him speak on stage, is that if you want to change your behavior, and that's what we're talking about, you cannot, cannot achieve it, most of us, the masses, so there are exceptions to the rule always, without support and accountability. So you have to put in support and accountability. And with the gym membership, the only thing you've got is a charge on your bank statement, which most of us do not even look at. Mm-hmm. Unless there is a reason you have to look at it. So it's not enough commitment. It's not enough accountability to get you to go. Right. And most of the time, the resistance is in getting you to go to the gym. When you arrived, most of us have an immense, enjoyable time until the next day. When we were reminded why we do not like the gym or exercise in general. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, it's really breaking down like strategies for success because it also might be that gym isn't the right thing. I do workouts from home now. I love it. I do 15 minutes three times a week. I sweat and it's like perfect for me and I feel it in my body. And it's like, there's lots of different solutions out there, but paying the gym thing is, I'm sure listeners... A lot of you are like, oh, better go cancel my gym membership then. I feel personally called out. (laughs) No, well, and to be fair, does it fit you? I mean, I know people that love the gym, love that environment, love to go. I've just found out it's not me. It's not the environment in which I like to exercise. I love exercise. I do. I love taking very long walks. I can walk for hours Mm. and hours without taking any break that's my environment in which i exercise i just know i should not be forcing myself to go to a gym because it's not the environment in which i will be able to do that exercise in the best way that i know how to so i think the most important thing is that i share with people is make sure that it's in alignment with who you are and what you enjoy doing because that you will keep doing it because you enjoy it, not because you have to, you're forcing yourself to. What do you think about the fact that we can change what we enjoy? So let's say, for example, I never used to do yoga. I like really felt like yoga was something I should do for the longest time and didn't do it. And then I just introduced it a few years ago, just 10 minutes a few times a week. And then I went to 10 minutes every day. And now I still just do 10 minutes every day. And now I literally love it. Like I won't not do it even about, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes max, but 
I know like at 5 p.m. if I've not normally I do it in the morning if I've not done it I really missed it but that came from introducing it gently and looking for the ways why I wanted it instead of accepting my brain's story that like I didn't have time and it wasn't important and it wasn't exercise and all of the story that I had like really can we decide to change what we enjoy well, I believe we can. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to think that I had a narrative going, I am not an author. Mm. I'm not. I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. That's mm. not who I am. And I, that story has been with me for a very long time. Every time someone said to me, oh, you're going to write a book. And I'm like, no, mm. no, 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 no. The idea of me sitting still long enough to pour my thoughts into, ask me to speak. And I'll do it, but don't ask me to sit down and write it. There was a long time that the narrative went on until an opportunity came by a couple of years ago and was asked if I wanted to contribute a chapter to a collaboration book about me, about a personal story, about a pivotal moment that had occurred many, many, many moons ago that I had traced back as being the seed for what I'm doing today which is an amazing process to go through Mm. because a lot of what we're doing today has been seeded many years ago. And it was a chapter of 5,000 words. Now, against there, I still had that narrative of this is not fun. How can I ever make it? But because one of the things that I value a lot is having fun. It's one of my core values. So instead of thinking I'm not going to enjoy this, how can I make this an enjoyable experience for me? I changed the question. I just changed the question. How can I make this an enjoyable experience for me? Now, fast forward three years, I've co-authored four books. There you go. So yes. And I think that one of the most important things if you want to change what you enjoy is that you commit to it. Um, I tell people, if you want to find out if this is something that you can enjoy, then commit to it for 90 days consistently every day even if it's just five minutes do it whatever it is but for 90 days if after 90 days you're thinking oh thank god the 90 days are over i never want to do this again you do not enjoy doing this and you'll (laughs) never enjoy it in any way shape or form if after 90 days you're thinking oh my god i actually love that if this is part of my life i can see myself doing this for many 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 years to come then it's probably something that you've just tapped into Yeah, I think both of those things together, the five minutes doing it and asking yourself on a daily basis, what is one thing that I enjoy from this? And then you're like, I mean, that's how we shift our mindset, really. I always say it's like learning another language. Yeah. It's like really chipping away slowly. If we want to, we don't have to do anything. No, no, you don't have to. And it's funny you say a new language because ever since the lockdown started, I've restarted learning Spanish. Nice. I just love the language. I love the language. I love the country. And I've been on a 70 day streak. Every day I spend about five minutes learning Spanish. I absolutely love it. And it's ridiculous because it's five minutes on my phone going through an app that challenged Duolingo. me on some, of, Duolingo, on some of the most difficult sentences you can ever come up with. Uh, I'm really thinking, oh, no, no, I know this. I know this. I know this word. And it's challenging. So most people, when they look at me and thinking, why is she doing this? She's not enjoying it at all. But the fact that it's challenging me is the enjoyable part. Right. 
But someone else looking in will say, okay, she shouldn't be doing what she's doing right now because she's not enjoying it at all. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm loving this. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, it is. So I want to make a jump back to sushi. Now we know a little bit more about you and what you do is if you, Vicky, were a sushi, what would the ingredients be? (laughs) <laughs> I'm laughing because yesterday my husband called me an avocado. Um, <laughs> so I'll put in some avocado for sure. I love avocado. And I would put in some avocado and I would put in some salmon and I would put in something spicy. And why so, those three ingredients? What do they represent in your personality? So the avocado is bright and soft and full of high quality fat (laughs) so funny Um, like every bite is good you're getting good value there um salmon is again it's a bright color it's full of protein i think this is like the sushi roll of like you just eat this and you could survive. It's got like the perfect balance of fat, protein, and carbs mm-hmm. with a little bit of spice. I would definitely say that's like, that could be a reasonable way to describe me. Like the balance of all the things with a little bit of spice. And what does the spice represent? The spice represents the willingness to do new things and get out there and take action and be a leader and also be a bit cheeky and maybe sometimes a bit unexpected. So it's not super predictable. Like not every piece of the sushi is going to be the same. There's always a different level of spice. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. I really love it. Would it be different ingredients if I were to ask you the questions, your business were sushi? Mm, Interesting. My business as a sushi roll. Yeah, I might go back to the nigiri for my sushi just because it's like super clean organized consistent you always get what you came for like all that side of things you know we can tailor it a little bit with a little bit extra wasabi and ginger but you know it's good wherever you go it's like dependable and yeah it fills you up there you go i love it and the toppings is it still salmon or do you change the toppings depending on what yeah it's still salmon it's consistent salmon which is interesting because i think my favorite is tuna (laughs) (laughs) I love tuna, but I think it's like, yeah, it's salmon. Oh, I really love that. So as we wrap up our conversation here, what are some of the tips you would like to share with our audience? Really, if you can get some access to information and simple tools, like starting small on ways that you can understand your brain and your anxiety or your procrastination, then do it. It doesn't have to be like a deep dive. In fact, I'll even say I've created a free fuck anxiety guide, which is like a three page. So one page breaking down our evolution and the brain in like really understandable format. And then two worksheets, one to use to uncover exactly what your anxiety is and how it shows up for you. So you don't have to have that vague definition because the anxiety thrives off the vagueness. And two, so you can unpack exactly why the anxiety is showing up. And we'll leave the link to that in the show notes, I guess. Yeah. So we'll make sure that you guys can access that. But really it's the self-judgment. Like anything that you are thinking, anything that you are going through, it's science. Nothing's wrong with you. And 
really breaking down and understanding why in the moment what happened that created that reaction in your brain that release of hormones and then that's the best way to solve for it so it's not a one size fits all which is why we can add those different level of uh, ginger and wasabi on each one <laughs> but like the substance so that would be the main thing and yeah like your brain's designed for a different time of course you don't want to do all the things and exert the energy and go out and do something scary and new and panic and anxiety and all these things are there just to keep you alive in you know for 40,000 years <laughs> like our modern world is so tiny for the history of the most modern form of our brain yeah so, yeah, yeah that's what I would say oh I love that you emphasize the brain and the thoughts that we have because you shared earlier that we on average every day have about 60 and depending on who you follow it's anywhere between 60 to 90,000 thoughts a day and most of it is fully automatic you're not aware of it so the fact that you're listening to this and thinking i might be procrastinating because of anxiety and i would love to know what that exactly is and i would love to unpack that that is you're already in the five to ten percent of thoughts that you are aware of Mm-hmm. and not the 95 90 to 95 that is fully automatic you're not aware of it just fires up each and every day so you're in a good place if you're thinking right now oh i have those thoughts because you're aware of them which is a huge leap forward and with this download that vicky has offered you you can unpack it and take the next step into really trying to understand what is happening and what you can do to solve it so Vicky, as we wrap up, what would you like to leave our audience with? If they just remember one thing out of the conversations that we had, what would that ideal takeaway be? It would be to go and listen to the fucking podcast. <laughs> it wouldn't be like, just take one thing from today, like stop judging yourself, which is, you know, what we could say. It would be really, my podcast is 10 minute episodes. Yeah. You deserve 10 minutes. It's really digestible. It's built for my exact person that is like ambitious and anxious and a high achiever and wants to figure out like a way that's not so disempowering. And so I would just go and if you search anxiety in any podcast app, just look for the F asterisk CK and mine will, it will show up because it's right there. It's memorable. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And we can add a link to your podcast with the show notes also to make it a little bit easier for people to find it. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for being with us on another episode of the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. And we would love to know what has been your biggest takeaway from the conversation with Vicky. Do take a moment to share this with us in our Facebook group, the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. You will find the link to this group in the show notes with this episode. And if you know anyone who will benefit from listening to this episode please do share it with them and we will look forward to seeing you on another episode have fun as always bye